Our scripture reading this morning is, a piece of it is that Pentecost chapter. We're going to keep that in mind, um, but we're going to especially focus on the first 30 verses of John 4 as we continue in our Gospel of John morning sermon series. John 4, beginning at verse 1. We're picking up right where we left off last Sunday morning. John 4, verse 1, this is God's holy and infallible word. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That's noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman, but no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. That's God's word for us this morning. So our text 
pretty prominent word in our text is water. It talks about a well, a spring welling up. And we get a little nervous about too much water around these parts. With a 100-year flood happening in 2010, and then another 100-year flood happened a month ago. But the water we're talking about today is something you want. This is a flood that you want to experience and have in your life. You want it to fill your basement. You want it to fill up your living room and enter and fill your hearts and minds. What we see on this Pentecost Sunday morning in John 4 is that Jesus, by his Holy Spirit, is our living water, and we're called to drink deeply from him today. You're thirsty this morning? Drink deeply. Are you parched spiritually? Drink deeply. Are you unsatisfied and and restless? The solution is to drink deeply from this water. In John 4, these verses are packed with reasons to drink deeply. First of all, Jesus, by his Spirit, is living water for you because he's for everybody. And so, drink deeply. The last time we read that John the Baptist and Jesus were ministering not too far from each other at the same time. You remember that? And it turns out that Jesus didn't want to be a competition to John the Baptist, and so he decided to go to Galilee, verse 3, which was north a ways. In between where he was, Judea, and Galilee was Samaria. And we read that Jesus had to go through there. And that's a little strange because he could have gone around Samaria, which is what any self-respecting Jew in that day did. And I, I want you to see a little map. And the bottom, the yellow tan, see it says Judea in red letters. Above that, purple is Samaria. And then above that, in the darker tan, is Galilee. So he started out in Judea, was headed to Galilee up north, and Samaria was in between. Samaria was an interesting region. It had been gutted by Assyria when Assyria took the ten, took over the ten tribes of Israel over 700 years earlier. And those ten tribes, the ten northern tribes, were taken into captivity. Some of the original people were left behind. And then what the Assyrian king also did was insert people from a whole variety of nations that Assyria had conquered. And this was standard policy for Assyria. And they did it to dilute ethnic groups, to dilute languages, to prevent further uprisings around their expanding empire. Assyria was long gone, but 
Samaria remained sort of a mishmash of a variety of people. It was also a mishmash of people in terms of religion. There was some sense by some of them of the five books of Moses. You know, she even refers to Jacob's well and knows about it. But for the most part, the people were, were pagans, like that whole region was. They were not worshipers of true God. Another piece of the story is that when the remnant of the Jews came back from Babylon to Jerusalem, it was a couple hundred years after that original thing going on, Samaria tried to enter into a political alliance with the Jew, Jewish remnant who came back. But they were refused, and from then on, the Jews and the people of Israel were not friends. They were enemies of each other. So it's because of that history, the mishmash of peoples living there, the mostly pagan thing in this political history, that's why, that's what's behind verse 9, that the Jews didn't like Samaritans. And that's why Jesus is, it's amazing that Jesus even talks to her. That's why the woman is so surprised. Jews went out of their way to avoid Samaria even when it meant extra hours on a dusty road to get from Judea to Galilee. Now that, the people, you know, Israel, these were the people of God in that day, that they treated the Samaritans like they did is pretty sad. The fact that God's people did not care about the spiritual condition of their very closest neighbors But that's how bad things had gotten when Jesus was born and grew up and started his ministry. And Jesus is showing us a different way. Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had a divine appointment. He had a divine purpose. And that was to bring himself to Samaria, the living water. And his purpose was to save this Samaritan woman. You see... Jesus came and arrived on this earth for church-going people like Nicodemus in chapter 3 as well as for non-church-going people like this woman in chapter 4. He came for men in chapter 3 as well as women chapter 4. He came for leaders in society, which is what Nicodemus was, and for the average person in chapter 4. He came for people who are seeking him out, like Nicodemus did at night, and he came for people, and he comes to people who aren't even looking for him in the first place, like this woman. In other words, Jesus comes for anyone and everyone. Our sinful nature can rise up and make us think Jesus is just for people like us. Jesus isn't for outsiders whatever we might call outsiders, however we might define that. That's what the Jews thought in Jesus' day. That's what the people who originally got this gospel thought too. The gospel of John was written in the late first century A.D. when something called proto-Gnosticism was on the rise. We might touch on that more in the future as we go through the book. But... These types of people who dabbled in proto-Gnosticism, they thought they had a special angle on Jesus, 
and the faith. They thought they were a cut above everybody else. They thought they were superior. But the fact is, the reality is, Jesus comes for all types. And that's a great comfort for for everyone. But it's a great comfort for you, too. Because you might feel like how this Samaritan woman was treated by the Jews sometimes. You might feel like you're an outcast. You might feel like you're alone. You might feel like you're not like everyone. You might feel like you're not worthy yourself of Jesus and his love and his refreshing water. But it's not true. The living water is for anyone and everyone. The living water is for you too. John 3.16, a few weeks ago, whoever believes may have eternal life. Whoever believes So drink deeply. Second, this morning, Jesus by his spirit is living water for you because he's a free gift. And because of that, you can drink deeply. In verse 10, Jesus says to the woman, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, he says, if you knew the gift of God, and we, we could put in there G gift, capital G, because of course he's referring to himself, if you knew the gift of God. Jesus is a free gift. Our God is not a barterer. Our God is a giver. And it can be hard for people to get this. It can be even hard for us in the church to get this. People will devise all kinds of ways to hope to earn salvation, Because they figure the only way to get to heaven, the only way to earn favor with God is to earn it. And we think that, people think that, we have that tendency because that is how life is. What is the saying? Nothing in this life comes for free. There's always strings attached. And experience tells us that's true. There ain't nothing in this life that comes for free. That's what makes this so difficult, because Jesus does. Listen to this. When a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that's a wage. When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for her performance, that's a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for his long service or high achievements, that's an award. But when a person is not capable of earning a wage, can win no prize, and deserves no award, yet gets a gift anyway, that is a picture of God's unmerited favor. And that's what we mean when we talk about Jesus being a free gift. Ephesians 2 says, it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. So take and drink. It costs you nothing. Jesus is a free gift. Jesus also, by his spirit, is living water for you because he fully cleanses. And so you're invited to drink deeply. The conversation goes on in John 4 about living water. And then in verse 16 and following, we see what we call the omniscience of Jesus. Omniscience means he's all-knowing. That's an attribute of God, and Jesus in his divine nature is all-knowing. And he knows 
something this woman would rather he didn't know. He knows all about her past. He knows that she's had five husbands. He knows that she's living with a man who's not her husband. The woman is amazed. She acknowledges Jesus as a prophet. What Jesus in his omniscience highlights is her sinful lifestyle, that she needs cleansing. And the reality is this living water cleanses us from our sin. Jesus solves the problem of sin that makes us dirty. That's why Jesus could say to someone married five times and now living with a guy not her husband, Jesus says, you're okay in my book to this woman. I wonder how we would do. How would we respond to this woman? Jesus says, you're okay in my book. I accept you. I am here for you too. Can you imagine this? Do you think the woman was proud of her past? Can you imagine Jesus accepting her? There was someone who saw um, an ad on the side of a plumber's van in South Africa. This might be an idea for you if you're going into plumbing. There's no place too deep, too dark, or too dirty for us to handle. Good for a plumber. It's also a wonderful explanation of the cleansing of Jesus by his spirit. There's no place in your life that's too dark, too dirty, or too deep for Jesus to handle. There's stuff we've done and left undone that makes us guilty of the wrath of God, deserving of condemnation. We talked about that in chapter 3. But Jesus, the living water, cleanses you from all your sin. So drink deeply from that water this morning. We're up to four. Jesus, by his spirit, is living water for you because he brings never-ending satisfaction in your life. And so you can drink deeply. Jesus fully satisfies. This woman was looking for satisfaction and not finding it. It's clear. She had this whole string of of men in her life. She was looking for satisfaction in relationships. And, And people look for satisfaction all sorts of ways. Through power, money, relationships, physical fitness, shopping, their beauty or handsomeness, food or drink. But verse 13 says, whoever drinks of this, whoever drinks this water will never thirst. And you know, it's because this living water comes from a spring and not a well. Ever think about that? He's sitting by a well. He talks about a spring. A spring is a source that never dries up, but a well could. Jesus was sitting by this well. We're told here it was very deep. Today, we're told by people who have been to Israel recently, it's 78 feet deep, which is, is pretty, pretty deep. But a well, even that depth of a well is not as deep as the heart and the love of God. And that's a spring of water that never ends. My parents live on a small lake in Allegan, Michigan, and uh, whenever I tell people who know about this and and tell them that it's a spring-fed lake, they're like, nice, that's one healthy lake, and it is because it's spring-fed. You can throw dirt 
into a well and prevent access to the water. But it's different with a spring. You can cover a spring up with dirt, and I don't know how soon, but by the next day, water's going to be bubbling up again. You can't stop it. It's never-ending. It's completely fulfilling. So whatever you're up to today, stop messing around and be fully satisfied. We, can, we enjoy many things in this life, but don't mess around with any of it for full satisfaction like so many people do. Stop messing around with other things. Drink deeply of the living water. Fifth, Jesus by his spirit is living water for you because he elicits worship. And so drink deeply. There's this discussion about worship in verse 21 and following. A whole lot could be said about this, probably a whole series of sermons. I'm sure pastors have done that. Jesus says, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship. And he says a little later, God's worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Worship is the natural outflow of drinking of the living water and belonging to Jesus. We can't help but respond and give him glory. We do that in public worship with believers like we are today. And we know worship isn't what tickles our fancy. Worship isn't whatever we might dream up in our imaginations that would be cool to do. Worship is founded on and directed by God's word, the truth, and the spirit, as we read here. We can't help but respond in private worship. It's thinking about our times of prayer and meditation and edification through the word as individuals, with our families, maybe around the dinner table in our small groups. We also can't help but respond by worshiping Jesus in all of life because ultimately worship isn't just on this or that mountain, says Jesus. It's not about a church building. All ground is sacred space for the believer. We give him glory in our hearts, in the church, at our jobs, when we're mowing our lawns, in our voting, in our relationships. It's all done out of thanksgiving and praise and service to him. Drink deeply and the worship will overflow in your life to every square inch. Finally, Jesus by his spirit is living water for you because he empowers us for outreach, so drink deeply. You notice what happens after the woman meets Jesus in verses 28 and 29. She tells others to come see him, and they did. And that's what happens when you drink deeply. That's what happens when you've received and experienced the living water. You want to tell others. The Jews were not doing that with their neighbors like the Samaritans. It would take Jesus coming for it to happen. And Jesus sent his Holy Spirit at Pentecost to enable us and to empower the church to do that, to reach the lost, to share the gospel, to take this incredible water that's for everyone, that's free, that fully cleanses, that provides never-ending satisfaction, that elicits worship, and bring it to others. 
This woman, by all accounts, to use a particular word, and and you're going to see why I'm doing this in a minute, she was a promiscuous woman. We know that. She was living with someone who was not her husband. In contrast to her lifestyle before meeting Jesus, we now have someone who's sharing Jesus freely, not herself. The canons of Dort, you'll find them in the back of our blue hymnal, or one of our confessions, say something very interesting along these lines. Referring to John 3.16, which we just looked at, it says this, the promise of the gospel is that whosoever believes in Christ crucified shall not perish but have eternal life. This promise, together with the command to repent and believe, ought to be declared and published to all nations and to all persons promiscuously and without distinction. How do you like that use of the word promiscuous? I think it's pretty cool. The Holy Spirit of Pentecost empowers us to be promiscuous in our outreach. In other words, not selective. The living water is not just for people like us. It's for everyone. I, as your pastor, want us here at faith to stand in the line of our spiritual forefathers who call us to promiscuous gospel sharing. How are we doing on that? How are we doing in terms of our individual ministries? Many ministries are sharing day-to-day personally, are inviting others here to other events that our church has, side door ministries. As a church, we talk about our second E, expressing God's love. We work hard on expressing God's love to one another And the report, even this past week, from conversations I've had with people who have been sick and in the hospital is, as always, overwhelming with the love that they receive from this congregation. Keep that up. Let's not let a bit of that drop. We express God's love with one another and outside the church. That's what people do who have met Jesus and who drink from the living water. Friends, Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, is living water for you this morning. So drink deeply. There are too many benefits to pass this up. That's my prayer for you this morning.